The following audio is from Life Centre Church. For more information, please visit lifecentrechurch.com.au. Well, good morning, everyone. How are we? Doing well? Awesome. Um, We have been uh, in the book of Exodus for a while, and coming out of the book of Exodus, uh, we wanted to do a series which would kind of take what we felt was one of the main themes of that book and try and apply it to our lives here. So in Exodus, God saves and rescues a whole bunch of people. And we had this line that that God is not just saving a bunch of people from something or someone, namely Egyptian, Pharaoh, bad people, but God was actually saving people too, to a whole new way of living. And so when God gave his law... Um, We often, particularly in our context in Australia, we think of rules as being restrictive and God is kind of controlling and God just wants to hold things back from you. But as we looked at the book of Exodus, like actually when God gives his laws, he's not trying to make bad people good people. He's trying to keep free people free. And so we wanted to look at different things and different ways in which we now as Christians um, would live out our freedom. And so if you're here and you're not a Christian, firstly, welcome Uh, You're you're welcome to be with us all the time. Uh, But there are some things in here which might surprise you about God, um, might surprise you based on what you think God says or what he's about. Um, And for those of us who are Christians, we're not surprised, but often we can struggle to live it out. And so it's good to be reminded of God's grace for us as we seek to learn to be his people. So today what we're going to do, we're going to look at a topic that we don't actually talk a lot about, and that is that we're free to share. So for those of you who might be regular churchgoers, you'll notice that we don't pass a bucket. Uh, We don't talk about money uh, all the time. Um, It's not that we don't believe that uh, money is an important part of our discipleship. We do. We just think there's lots of things that include our discipleship, and we don't just zone in on money every single week and give a giving talk every week. Um, I like that we don't do that, but sometimes... What we want to be careful of is then we overswing and we never talk about what it is like to be Christians who God gives things to and says, hey, use them for my purposes. And so a part of being God's freed people is that we are freed from materialism. We are freed from greed. We are now freed up to be God's people who steward God's things for God's purposes. And so today we're going to look at that fact that we are freed to share. And the particular passage I'm going to be in, if you do have your Bibles, is going to be 2 Corinthians 8. And nine, uh, we're going to look at six principles. Now, in here, it's, it's focusing on a gift that this church of Corinth is, have committed to give. And Paul is going to use uh, a church called the Macedonian Church to kind of go, hey, they're an example to you. Um, but what we want to do is we want to take these principles of being, hey, this is anything. This isn't just money. This is God frees us as his people and says, hey, all that you now have is because of me. I have set you free. Now use what is in your hand. Use what I've given you, whether that is your time, whether that is your gifts, whether that is your skills, whether that is your home, whatever it might be, use them for my kingdom. Again, if you've been around the church for a while, you may have heard of a term called prosperity gospel. The prosperity gospel says, hey, give and then you get rich. I would love to believe in that because I'd love to be really, really rich. Uh, But the Bible doesn't actually say, hey, if you give God a whole lot of your money and stuff, what God will do is he'll give you a whole lot more money and stuff. And so now you can drive this, you can live there, and eventually you can have that jet. 
And you all want your own jet, don't you, to be able to travel wherever you want. So many of us know of the prosperity gospel preachers out there that just keep saying, give money, give money, give money, give money. And what God will do is he'll bless you with more things and more stuff. Uh, We're a church that says, no, we don't believe that's what the Bible teaches. The Bible does not teach prosperity gospel. Prosperity gospel says righteousness is, is sort of seen in the fact that you keep getting more and more blessed. Uh, the Bible doesn't teach that. There are verses that uh, people take out of context to try and teach it. But the Bible also doesn't speak about poverty as being a way of righteousness. And so some people go from the prosperity gospel and go, see, they're just all trying to get rich. And what we really need to be is just really super uber poor. So let's not have any shoes for our children. Um, let's, not, let's not be able to provide for our families. Not be, let's not enjoy anything that is good. And so what we do is we overswing from this and we come over here and go, righteousness is actually seen in everyone looks like Mother Teresa. And the Bible would also say, no, that's not how it works. What we believe in is not a prosperity gospel or a poverty gospel, but a generous gospel. That is that God gives us all different amounts of things Different amounts of money, different types of homes, different types of cars, different amounts of children, whatever it might be. And every single person is supposed to see that as being generously given to them by God. And each person, each family, each couple is supposed to then pray, seek God, ask God, how do you want me to use all of what you have given me for your kingdom and for your purposes? Not prosperity, not poverty, but a generous gospel. And so I think what we see in this particular passage of these two chapters is what Paul explains is what it looks like to be a generous people. So six principles. We'll throw out some application throughout. First thing is that the reason that we share is because of the grace of God. So chapter 8, verse 1 says this. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches in Macedonia. For a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor to take part in the relief of the saints. So there is this need. The Macedonian church hear about this need in the Jerusalem church, and they're like, we want to contribute. What can we do? Paul's having conversations and going, well, you guys are actually in poverty yourselves. You're struggling yourselves. And they're like, we, we don't care. We want to participate in serving the broader church. And what Paul says is that this is actually an evidence of the grace of God. Chapter 8 and 9 of 2 Corinthians, the word grace is used more than any other place in all of Scripture. Now, for those who have been Christian for a while, you understand grace to be unmerited favor. That is, you don't come to God... Do all sorts of things for God, and then God approve you and accept you. It's grace. It's unmerited. God gives you His grace. God gives you His love before you do anything for Him. Before you, you, you don't earn it, it's given to you. But grace is also used in the Bible to talk of the sense of being empowered by God. So it's not necessarily unmerited favor in this context. It's God's power to energize and empower people to do something they otherwise would not do apart from God's grace. So we just hear of Beck's story. Her life has changed and now she wants to do something that's different than what she wanted to do a year ago. Why? Because the grace of God has started to work in her life. And so this is what, this is what Paul is saying. that It's this grace of God that's been in work in your lives. So you no longer see your money, see your possessions, see your gifts or see your talent as the culture does, as our world around us does. Number two. 
is that we share generously because we are genuinely loving people. So verse 5 says, And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord. And then by the will of God to us, accordingly, we urge Titus that as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and listen to this, in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. I say this not as a command, but to prove the earnestness of others, uh, of your love, which is also genuine. Notice that it says that we do this because we love God. This is the reason that we share what we have is because we, we love Jesus. We love Jesus' people. We love Jesus' work in, in, the, in the world. This year, we just started doing compassion in our church. And between our church and uh, LCC up at Calandra, we have sponsored over 45 kids in one region in the Philippines. Now, let's do that every single year for the next 10 years And out of our generosity, keep loving and serving a region. How many lives can we see change just in in a poor area of the Philippines? Why do we do that? Because it's a good thing to do? No, because we love Jesus and Jesus loves people. And so we're going to sponsor children, not because we have to, but because we, we love Jesus and Jesus loves these kids. And so by giving up of our wealth, giving up of some of the things that we have, we can sponsor children. That's awesome. I can't wait to go to the Philippines and see these families and see the difference that one or two churches in a Brisbane can make in one area. Are you excited about that? It's going to be amazing. But what he says is giving, sharing comes out of loving. And we know that this is how our God is. John 3.16, the verse that everyone seems to know in the whole world, is that for God so loved the world that he gave his son. He shared Jesus with us. Now think about your relationships. What part of relationships make relationships joyful and healthy? Is it not when two people equally give? There's nothing worse than having a relationship where it's one-sided. Has anyone experienced this? It could be a friend and you're like, man, I, I keep giving, I keep serving, uh, you know, I'm there for them, but they're never there for me. In a marriage, what makes a marriage good is when the husband and the wife both give equally. When, when one is giving and the other is taking, it doesn't lead to a fruitful relationship. And what Paul is saying is that, listen, God has already done everything. He has given of himself to you and now he's encouraging you. Hey, love me as I've loved you. Share what I've given you for my purposes in the kingdom. And that simply could just be opening up the doors to your home and welcoming people in who sit at your table and eat your food. You see this all throughout the New Testament, is that these people are like, hey, this home doesn't belong to me. This home actually belongs to God. It's his house and he's given it to me. And so I'm going to use it for his purposes. I'm going to open these doors. I'm going to welcome people in who sit at our table. Carly and I bought a house some years ago. And initially, we started seeing that house as our house. Belonged to us. And doors were kind of sometimes open, sometimes shut. Um, people would come in and their kids... Their kids had, like, weapons of mass destruction. I don't know, like, where they found... Like, it would be a normal truck, like my kid's truck, but for some reason, that truck could go through the wall. And you're always like, how is it so regular with your child that you just destroy our home? 
And for a while there, it was really, really hard. It was like, oh man, these people don't have the same boundaries as us. Their kids are a little bit wild. And then we just kept getting reminded that this isn't your home. That actually, sometimes someone jumping on your couch and doing a few of these things which you don't like, and you're going to try and help grow them in terms of respecting boundaries or whatever, means that my house, of which I've given to you, might get a little bit destroyed, and you can fix a wall, you can fix a couch. They get to come in and eat at the table. And I can tell you, it has transformed how we view our home, because our home is no longer our home. So Jesus says, in Matthew 6, 19, he says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither uh, moth nor rust destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I remember one time my son had a fork in his hand and that fork was moving towards a particular screen of which I loved the screen. And I saw, I saw the fork going towards the screen. And so I yelled very, very loudly at this particular son, of which I only have one. And uh, he's sitting in the front row and he loves me so much because I always use him in my stories. Um, and I remember this moment of like, that's my TV! Don't you wreck my TV! And I remember I had this moment in my heart where I'm like, man, I'm way more concerned about that TV getting scratched than I am about my son's soul and his heart. The TV, for some reason, had gotten something into me. Do you know why? Because of what it cost me. I'd spent a lot of money looking up how to buy this TV, of which now I'm told it's so small and so useless. Like, can we just get a bigger one? Because this one sucks. And it's like, okay, great. You can pay for the bigger TV when you get the money. Um, the reality is, is that often our stuff gets our heart because it costs us money and we invest things into it. How many of you here have dropped a phone and you've heard that noise and you're like, oh, I'm sick in my stomach. I do not want to turn over the phone and have a look at the cracks. So I'm just going to pretend and you just pick it up, you put it, I'm not even going to look. Yeah, I see some smiles. What about when you get that new car and you're like, it's going to be beautiful forever. No, you cannot eat in the car. Everybody, every parent in this room has bought a new car and told their kids they cannot eat in the car. Except for three months later when you're over it and you're like, eat whatever you want in the car. Things have a way of getting into our hearts. And what Paul is saying, don't let anything get into your heart other than Jesus. Allow him to be what rules your heart. Number three, gospel truth. He then goes on to say, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that by his poverty you might become rich. And in this matter I give my judgment, this benefits you who a year ago started not only this work, but also to desire to do it. What's he saying? He's saying, hey, church, Christian, follower of Jesus, think like Jesus, act like Jesus. Be like Jesus. Jesus was the king of heaven. Owns everything, control of everything, has no need, and he hops off the throne and comes down to serve lowly people like you and me. The one who spoke stars into being, the one who just spoke life into the world, said, you know what? 
I could sit here and demand everything of everybody. You worship me. I'm God. And as soon as you suck, you're gone. And he was like, you know what? That's not how I, how I act. I own everything. Yet I'm going to become poor and lowly. And I'm going to use all that I have to actually serve people, love people, make people's lives completely, radically changed. If you're here and you're a Christian, this is what Jesus has done for you. He hopped off a throne put a towel over his arm and came and served you. He, he left all of his stuff and said, that doesn't define me, that doesn't control me. Love controls me. And I will come and serve people. And he gave not just some money, he gave his whole life. Sam Storm says this, he says, money and materialism doesn't hold this church in Macedonia, the Macedonian church. Grace has made known the incomparable beauty of Jesus and the grip and vice of greed and materialism on their hearts was broken. In other words, we have now this eternal truth, this gospel truth, and it is far more satisfying than anything else. See, before I was a Christian, I thought certain things would make me filled with joy. I thought if I had that job, made that amount of money, lived that particular type of life, then I'd be happy. And like Beck, I too was a person at a well that was deeply unsatisfied with life. I'm 19 years old, I'm on my way to a business degree, I've got all these plans of everything, and I am deeply inside of my soul missing something. It is empty. And then I came to find out that Jesus loved me and died on a cross for me and he gave his life for me. And that did something in my heart where now if I have a house or I have a car and I have nice things, I'm grateful for them, but they do not own me. This is not permission to come over to my house and steal all my stuff and put forks in my TV. Our world does not understand what it's like to receive from Jesus and therefore give back to him. And what Paul says here is that this gift, this generosity, it benefits you. Well, how does, how does generosity benefit you? That doesn't make sense, right? Because I had $1,000 and now I've got $800 because I gave $200 away to something. It's like, that's not a benefit. That's if I do a benefit-cost-benefit analysis, I lost. And the Bible says, no, you didn't. You win. You gain. We have to get our eyes off the earthly, off the temporal, and look to the eternal and say, well, what did I gain? And what Paul says is, you got more of God. You grow in your faith by being generous with what you have. It breaks the power of materialism and greed from your heart so that you don't need bigger and better. You can, but you don't need it. You actually are reminded that you're not in control of things, that your Father in heaven has promised to provide all of your needs and will continue to do so. I spoke about last week the amount of people in our church who have lost jobs, and yet God came through and provided a brand new job for them. God, your Father, will always provide because you are his kid, and you get a brand new identity in Christ so that no longer does your salary, your possession, your positions, where you live, the type of house you live in, the car that you drive, none of that defines you at all. You have something better. You have a relationship with Jesus, and he defines you. And he says, 
that he loves you and is for you, will provide for you and look after you for the rest of your life. Number four, a gladness of heart. He goes on and says, Verse 5 of chapter 9, So I thought it necessary to urge you, brothers, to go on ahead of you and arrange in advance for the gift you have promised, so that it may be ready as a willing gift, not as an exaction. The point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, whoever sows bountifully will reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Notice what this doesn't say. This does not say that we give out of guilt. We don't do this and then, uh, I guess I better sponsor a kid. Well, that's 50 bucks a month. And then they want me to do the stupid letter writing days. Well, that's not money, but that's it's so hard to write a letter to a kid in the Philippines. It's, do you see the guilt? It's like, no, 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 we don't do that. That's, that's not how we, we see what we're doing when we do things. Oh, I guess I better contribute to someone in my life group who's moving house. I guess I better get up early on Saturday morning and help them. Oh, well, this sucks, doesn't it? <laughs> you know, better do it. Have to do it. I guess that's what they said. That's not how Christians give. We don't give out of regret. We don't give in the same way that we give our taxes. Right? When you give your tax, when you get your paycheck and you're like, where's the rest of it? And the government's like, oh, no, no, we got that. And you're like, well, Why? Because the roads still suck. And where's all the stuff that you promised? To, uh, the hospital, and it, what, I've got to pay like a fee now to get an ambulance, of which I've never needed? Like, oh, you just take this stuff out of my account? Okay. There's, we regret. It's like, ugh. We don't give out of law. We don't give because we have to. Legalism steals joy from us. It's not that we have to give. God has already loved us. God has already died for us. And then he says, come join me in the mission of what I'm doing in the world. You don't have to, you get to. I remember some years ago when we lived in our home, in our first home, we had an older couple who lived behind us and they were grandparents looking after grandchildren because their, their child who had these children was in a real bad way. And this older couple was sacrificing their, their elderly years to love and serve these two boys. And I, I remember talk, we'd talk over the fence to them. Remember they'd give us all the, all, the, all the greens and all the food. They'd always throw food over. I remember we got to bless them one year and we got to take our kids around and give them a Christmas gift of a certain amount of dollars to say, hey, we see what you do. We just want to honor you. And I remember the way they looked at us. And that look, that look alone was like, man, I want to do more of that. Because they don't get praise. They didn't get affirmation. They didn't get honor. And nor do they want it. They're just serving these kids because they're their grandkids and their daughter can't look after them. There, there is so much that we get to do that comes from a gladness of heart. Notice what it does say. We give willingly. We give bountifully. And we give decisively. Each one must give, it says, as he has decided in his heart. Again, in, in 2 Corinthians 8, at the beginning, it says that they gave according to their means. This means that it's, it's predetermined, it's purposeful, it's prayerful, yet it's still voluntary. 
So some practicals here. How, how do we determine how much to give of what we have? Well, I think what we do is we pray. We say to God, God, this is all yours. This is, this is your money. This is your house. These are, these are your things that you've given us. What do you want us to do with it? And you ask him. And you pray to him. And you consider what has God given you and how can you best steward it and point it towards his kingdom and his mission. And then whatever that is, you work that out and then you cheerfully participate in it. So let me give you an example of the difference between how culture views money and how the Christian views money. So we can put up the next slide. Right, this is how culture views things. Okay, first, first thing for them is I earn it and therefore I own it. So I've worked hard. This is mine. And this is the culture, right? If you want money, you have to go work for it. Yeah? Nothing wrong with that. Okay, there's some, some truth to that. And now I'm going to live and enjoy it. I'll save a little bit and invest some of that. And then I'll give and share whatever. So when there's a big, like, tragic fires or whatever, sure, at that cricket game, we'll give that 20 bucks. And so they just always give of their leftovers. The way that the Bible says that we would view money and possessions and all that we have is the opposite of that. So if we can go to the next slide, Christians, we don't earn and own. We receive. It's all God's, and he has chosen to give us this. The amount of money that I earn, the amount of money that my wife earns, the house that we have, the car, it's not mine. Have I worked? Yes. Has Carly worked? Yes. But we've not worked to earn. We've received, and we're working from a place of worship. And so all that we have is God's. And now we ask, how can we steward it? And then we say, okay, well, what do you want us to give and share? What do you want us to save and invest? And then how do we live and enjoy the rest? So we're doing this currently with Fletcher. Right? Fletcher gets a little bit of amount of pocket money. He's also mowing some external lawns, and so he's earning money. And he likes to remind us that it's his. And we like to remind him, your life belongs to me. And so we're encouraging him currently, no, actually, it's not yours, it's all God's. So when he gets his money, he gives 10%, goes straight to this church, goes straight into account, and he watches it and he says goodbye with cheerful gladness of heart. <laughs> then he saves 60% of his money, because he lives at home, he has no overheads, we're not charging him board, can't wait till we can. That leaves him with 30%, to which we say... Now live and enjoy that. And if you want to buy ginger beer, if you want to go to school and tap on the thing and buy your mate some extra chips, you get to do that because it's God's. You have given and shared first. You've saved and invested last and now go and enjoy. See, this, this is the opposite of either prosperity or poverty because poverty would say, well, you can't enjoy anything. So you must feel guilty. So if you go to Africa and you spend a few weeks there, you come home, you're like, I don't think I can throw this food out. I must eat it because I feel guilty. I don't know if I can enjoy this home. I must feel guilty. No, don't feel guilty. Don't feel guilty. We don't have to feel guilty. We need to ask the question, well, are we being generous? And if we are being generous and we're following the principles of God, then whatever we have, we get to enjoy. Because it is also a blessing from God. So I don't have to feel guilty about the house I live in. I don't have to feel guilty about the car that we drive. I have to feel guilty about the clothes that we wear or the food that we eat. I get to enjoy that because we start off by going, God, this is yours. How much do you want us to give away? And so we started at 10%. We started that and we said we're never going below that. And we just have lived the rest of our lives since being married 20 years this year. 
Hey, we've been doing that. Um, we want to increase what we're saving and investing, and then we live and we thank God and we say, "God, this is yours. Thank you so much for blessing our family. Thank you for a home that actually has two bathrooms." Oh, with four kids, it is so precious to have that. We never used to have that. Thank you, Jesus. So this is the view that, that God is the owner of all and that we are the managers of what he gives us. So we ask the question, Jesus, what do you want me to do? How do you want me to use it? Longs to you. I'll start with there and I'm going to work my way down and they go, okay, now I'm going to enjoy everything else that God has given me. And if you're able to earn millions of dollars and you're generous, you don't have to feel guilty for the house that you live in because you've been able to make some good coin. You don't have to feel bad about that. Amen? Number five, guaranteed promise. We share generously because we trust God wholeheartedly. Verse 8 in chapter 9 says, And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, that's a pretty good promise, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he is distributed freely. Right? This is God distributing freely all that he has. He is given uh, to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. Sounds like prosperity gospel. Give and God's going to give. But if you notice, look at what it says. It says that he will give to us and multiply our seed for sowing and increase our harvest of righteousness. In other words, this is not about giving so that you get rich and have more stuff. But if you are, if you are a person who is able to share what you have and you want to give and you want to be generous, God will find ways to give you more to be generous with. Not so that you, you can increase your house size and get the better car. It's actually so that you can just give more and be a better steward. And the joy of that, the fruit of that, is that you will be increasing in the harvest of your righteousness. Again, you don't get more stuff, you get more God. You get to experience more of God because when you are generous, you are participating in what it looks like to be like Jesus. And He will increase your experience of grace, He will increase your righteousness. I love this because what this means for me is I can now do this and I can enjoy what it means to see other people's lives be transformed. Lastly, glory to God. We share generously as an act of personal worship of God which leads to more worship of God. So verse 12 says, For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints but is also overflowing in many thanksgiving to God. During COVID, our church was able to raise, I haven't got the figures here, but it was somewhere between seven dollars and $10,000 just from internal giving so that we give it to families who lost their jobs. That's pretty cool. We had so many people who were getting gift packs and food packs and saying, hey, here's $500 for the week to help you pay for your mortgage. Okay, that came from this church for people just giving extra money into our giving fund so that we could share that. That led to a whole lot of people going, man, my father is good. I'm going to give thanks to my father. Your generosity, our church's generosity, led to more people thanking God. 
By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others. While they long for you and pray for you because of this passing grace upon you, thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. I love this. We are baptizing Beck today. But we have baptized Angie. We have baptized Josh. We've baptized Christian. We've baptized Justine. I could go on and list name after name after name after name of people who've come to this church, have found Jesus, been saved by Jesus, been transformed by Jesus, and now living for Jesus. And that is not possible unless we have a church that is giving and sharing of what they have. Our church started six years ago in August. A small group of people left Launton to come and plant this church. Those people gave up every Sunday and continue to give up every of their Sunday. They, they serve of their time, week in, week out, to gather on the Lord's Day. These people stewarded their talents, their gifts, their abilities, serving each week, setting up chairs, serving in kids' men, serving in crash, doing all sorts of stuff, serving in sound and tech. They opened up their homes. They said, hey, we've not done this before, but we want to open up our homes and invite people in our homes. And since then, we've got like more life group after another life group. We're about to start another life group because more people are opening up their homes. This is incredible. They stewarded of their finances and continue to give generously so that the mission can continue to advance. Within three years, we've planted another church that's up at Calandra which now is doing exactly the same thing. They now have multiple groups. Now people are multiply serving, giving of their time, giving of their talents. We have financially supported seven different churches in Australia, New Zealand, um, and South Africa. And we've also, as you've been seeing, have been uh, serving the Paxes in the Ukraine. We saw a few weeks ago the bus that they were able to buy where they can transport more people to get them and rescue them, as well as to bring food supplies. That was because of the generosity of those in the church who give. This week, we've been able to give them another $10,000 because of the generosity of people in this church. This is crazy good news, people. This is amazing. This is what we get to participate in. And today, we get to join with Beck Freeman and celebrate that God has transformed her life and she is now going to follow Jesus. And that wasn't just because of my preaching. Most of you are like, yeah, we, we figured that out before you even said that. Um, <laughs> amen. It's the first amen I've had all morning. <laughs> uh, that's because there's a community of people who've welcomed the Freemans in, and we've participated with her, and stuff's happened at Mueller, and stuff's happened here. This doesn't happen unless the church does what the church does. And we're going to see more and more people come to faith. We're going to plant more and more churches eventually. And we're going to have more and more thanksgiving be given to God. Why? Because the people of God who know God have been rescued and saved by him now see all that they have as his. And they say, how can we use what we have for your purposes? And God's purposes is redeeming, rescuing, and transforming people. And that's the thing that moth and rust cannot destroy because that is what is coming to heaven with us is people. So church, I want to encourage you. I want to thank you as the band come up. 
for all that you give, for all that you serve, for all of the things that you are using in your life, whether it's opening up your home, whether it's texting people with your mobile phones and calling people and thanking them, whether it's letter writing, whether it's gift giving, whether it's giving directly to this church, whatever it might be, can I encourage you, keep, keep doing it. Keep being generous for Jesus and enjoy what Jesus does in your life. Amen? Why do we do this? Because this is what Jesus has done for us. He gave everything for us. So now we, as a response, ask him how we can use what he's given to us. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Life Centre Church, located in North Lakes. We exist to make, mature, and multiply disciples in communities that depend upon, declare, and display the gospel of Jesus Christ in all of life. If you would like more information about us, please visit lifecenterchurch.com.au. We provide our podcasts free of charge. Please feel free to download the content and share it with others, but please do not edit or alter the content in any way without the written permission from the leadership of LCC. 